my Lord and my God. I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My mother immaculate, Saint Joseph, my father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Saint John, as you probably know, does not give an account of the, the institution of the Eucharist in his gospel. He gives his Eucharistic discourse famously in chapter six, but then when it comes to the Last Supper, he doesn't actually describe the, the, the uh, institution, the words of the institution of the Eucharist. And in part, that is because, well, the other three evangelists did it long before he wrote his gospel. He wrote it very much at the end. But also because he gives us something which in a certain sense goes much deeper than just the words of the institution. And that is, he gives us the whole, kind of the the soul of the, the, the of our Lord's desire to give us the Eucharist when he gives us the account of our Lord washing the feet of his disciples. And only John gives that. Um, you know it very well, I'm sure. And so I thought we would look at that in this, in this meditation, look at what St. John is telling us about the Eucharist in describing Jesus is washing the feet, and what we can learn from that. So remember the place, the setting is the upper room. It's Holy Thursday. And we're told by St. John that before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the word that St. John uses there for end is very significant because it's much richer than the end there. In English, which just sounds like the end of his life, which is true. But the word that St. John uses, because he's writing in Greek, is telos. And telos means end, as in end of life, but also perfection. And St. John is telling us that Jesus loved the disciples and he loved you and he loved me to perfection. In what he's about to do, he shows the perfection of his love, precisely in the Eucharist. And as one of the things we try to do over the Corpus Christi is reflect on the perfection of God's love for us in the Eucharist. And that, that is another reason we have this feast, actually, because the church realized, with the help of Saint Julian of Liege, the church realized that this was lacking. We, we were lacking a feast in which we would celebrate having the Eucharist, but also just to reflect on the perfection of, of Christ's love for us in the Eucharist. Saying what happened with Saint Julian, she lived in the 13th century, and she um, she, from a, from a 
young age, actually, she kind of had this desire that there would be a, a feast of the Eucharist outside of Lent, because she, she had a realization that Holy Thursday, which is in a sense a, a feast of the Eucharist, Holy Thursday is so busy with other things, and it's, we're so, we think of our last Holy Thursday, sure you, you, we celebrate, we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist, but also of the priesthood and of the, the um, command of charity. But we're so distracted, and, and Good Friday is kind of looming, and so it's, it, and it's overshadowed by Lent in general. So we don't really do very much to think about the Eucharist. And so she, she had a realization of that. It was kind of on her mind anyway. But then she had a, a dream stroke vision in which she saw the, the full moon, a bright moon. And in, but on the moon, there was a black dot, a spot. And she was given to understand that the moon represented the church, but the black spot represented the absence of a feast in honor of the Eucharist. Uh, so being a strong woman, she convinced the Bishop of Liege to introduce a feast of Corpus Christi in his diocese, which he did. And he providentially became Pope in his turn. And uh, he made it a universal, a universal feast. Also getting St. Thomas Aquinas to compose important hymns and, um, and parts of the, the Mass that we celebrate. So very providential, actually. But it was inter interesting that she saw, or our Lord showed her, that certainly the church was lacking this feast in honor of the Blessed Sacrament. And it is very nice, but it is, I suppose maybe in some places more than others, you're able to pull out all the stops. Unfortunately here, less so than perhaps before. But it is, it is very right, it's very, it's very fitting that the whole church publicly also makes a public manifestation of its delight at having the Eucharist. So that is, um, that's the kind of background to, to the Feast of, of Corpus Christi, the perfection of our Lord's love for us. St. John then goes, and he continues, he says that Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and girded himself with a towel. It seems to me that what St. John is telling us about the Eucharist there is how our Lord taking, taking off his, gar his garments, our garments are what give us our dignity, our standing with, with people. And someone is very conscious of that, you know, especially formal dress and so on. That gives you your standing. Our Lord leaves that aside and vests himself or girds himself with this kind of humble little white towel, we can imagine. And I think we can see there our Lord leaving aside his dignity, leaving aside his, first of all, his divine royalty, and then even his humanity, to hide behind this little garment, which is the appearance of bread, which we have in the Eucharist. There's no bread, that's part of the miracle. There's no bread, there's just the appearance of bread. Our Lord hides behind this appearance, like hiding behind this towel, this humble towel, which is the, 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 the work clothing, what he's, about to, what he's about to do is, of course, wash the feet of his disciples. 
but hiding behind this little humble town, leaving aside his dignity. And that is what our Lord is doing in the Eucharist. You, Lord, here in the tabernacle, left aside your huge, which we wouldn't be able to bear for a moment, actually, the, the divinity. The divinity is there, but it's hidden. Even the humanity, as St. Thomas Aquinas points out in the Adorate Devotee, even the humanity is hidden. And now we're just left, as it were, with a towel, with a white covering. That's all we see. And the tremendous humi humility to do that. And our Lord then, as you know, gets the basin of water, begins to wash the disciples' feet, one by one. And, and coming then to Peter, Peter who reacts, Peter re reacts, Peter being... Bit of a hothead, um, Lord, do you wash my feet? Uh, Jesus answered, What I'm doing, you do not know now, but afterwards you would understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Now the truth is, we often kind of kind of belittle Peter. You know, there he goes again, Peter, another on another kind of uh, rant. But Peter's right. In, in that sense, Peter does realize. This is crazy. He knows, as he's the one who, who declares it, in fact, Jesus is the son of the living God. Um, he is a, he's a particular realization of that. And he reacts to this idea, who am I that God would kneel down in front of me and wash my feet? Um, of all things that God would do for me, that he would kneel down in front of me not only a speck of dust in comparison, but kind of worse, because we're also sinners. It kind of puts us into the, the minus category. You know, we're, we're not just the tiniest little thing in, cre in creation, but also on top of that, the part of creation, including angels, that is capable of sinning and kind of going into the, you can almost say, anti-creation category. And yet, here is my Lord and my God kneeling down in front of me, washing my feet. And I think it's Peter does us a service. Peter does us a service there in his outrage, which we all we tend to poo-poo a little bit. But I think we should kind of say, well, actually, Peter, you teach me a lesson there. You are right to be outraged, in a sense, outraged. You're right to be shocked. And in a sense, in a way that we're probably, you know, in the course of our lives, because we're probably all cradle Christians, Cradle Catholics, that we're not shocked, actually, at the humiliation of our Lord and what he does for us in the Eucharist. We're not, we're not shocked. We take it so much for granted. We take it so much for granted that you, Lord, are here in the tabernacle. We, we approach Mass in an almost, you could say, dum-de-dum-de-dum -de -dum -de -dum fashion. Here we go again. We don't stop ourselves and say, this is crazy. How could, how could God hide there? First of all, in the tabernacle, behind that, that appearance that, that like the towel, that that raggedy towel, hiding behind that. Even in a way, that even when we try, you know, we make acts of faith and we try, we try to be aware. We never, we never even get remotely close to the realization of what is happening here. And then we, are, we see for Lord, 
and, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, we don't even have the good manners to say thank you. Uh, we try, we try to do our 10 minutes of thanksgiving, but sometimes we have to admit, Lord, I don't even say thank you, uh, let alone all the other things. Now, uh, the church kind of says, well, look, one day of the year, one day of the year, we're going to do it. And, and this altar will be covered, hopefully, in flowers. Um, we, we, we put out our finest lace, we, the finest, uh, finest everything that we can, which is, which is nothing in comparison with, with what it should be. And where, where Corpus Christi processions are done, you know, very well, they're very beautiful. And they're, they, I remember ones that I used to see in the Roman College in, in, in Rome, and um, literally, literally, it was one of the guys living in Rome was a friend of a florist. And uh, so literally, a, a, this flower van used to arrive, a little truck, essentially, full of flowers. And all those flowers are used for preparing this fantastic carpet of flowers. And the 150 of us who were living there would spend two or three days preparing it. And that was just the, the carpet of flowers in which the priest would walk holding the monstrance. And then there were seven altars all prepared with beautiful roses. And you could, somebody looking at that could say, well, gosh, that is over the top. But I think, we, hopefully we would say, it's not over the top, it's under the top. No, ma no matter how much you would do for our Lord in trying to pull out all the stuff, you would never, there's no fear of overdoing it, put it that way. But then think of ourselves personally. You know, am I, you know, can I relate to St. Peter's shock that, that God is doing this? And especially because I know me. So that's one of the things at least about St. Peter. He's very self-aware. Depart, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's a lovely thing about him. You know, he's, he's got his hot-headedness and that kind of thing. But he's also self-aware. He's very aware of being a sinner. He's very aware of his unworthiness, which is maybe one of the reasons why he He's, he's an ideal candidate for being the head of the, the apostles. He is very aware of his unworthiness. And here, having our Lord down on his knees in front of him shocks him to the core. We could ask St. Peter, St. Peter, help me too to be a little bit shocked. We know that St. Maria, when he was, not, not a, well, even as a deacon, when he would fairly first touch the Eucharist as a deacon, his hands trembled. And uh, then that, that he never really lost that. He came back at a kind of more dramatic tremble at a certain point. He was glad to see God. He was still in awe of the Eucharist. So he didn't do it lightly. And, and so, so that is the great danger for us, I suppose, that, that um, we would grow accustomed. And again, maybe Corpus Christi is trying to shake us out of this kind of being too accustomed to receiving something like this. A divine thing like this. We grow too accustomed. And so we're trying to shake ourselves out of it. Maybe it's something we could ask. Lord, Lord, shake me out of my... If I'm growing accustomed, because familiarity, as you know, breeds contempt. Contempt being kind of just a casualness. A casualness. A casual, we approach Mass in a casual way, dress in a very casual way. Um, maybe not live the fast, or whatever it is. You know, we all, this terrible casualness. And you see, and it's funny, as I'm listening to the, these days, the book of Genesis, or the book of Exodus, which gives all the, um, all the, the instructions about 
like all the holy things, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and what's quite amazing is the sense of the sacred for the Jews, which God inculcated in the Jews. Incredible sense of the sacred. So sacred, you don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. So much so that if you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you are struck dead. And that's part of the, uh, part of the deal. Um, if, you took, if you touch the holy mountain, Sinai, if you're not Moses and you touch the holy mountain, you're struck dead. It's, it's quite like that. Now, we're not asking our Lord to strike us dead if we're a bit casual at the Mass. But it's kind of a reminder that Sinai and the Ark of the Covenant and the Temple and the Holy of Holies have nothing but nothing on this tabernacle and the content of this tabernacle. Nothing. And, and, and perhaps some of those Old Testament Jews would be horrified horrified if they saw us said, wow, the way we treated the tabernacle, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, the, the temple in Jerusalem, that's the way we treated something that was only a little shadow of what you have here. So, so anyway, Corpus Christi is a good reminder to us, sense of the sacred, and a reverence, even an awe, an awareness of what is happening. Trying, it's only, it's only a tiny awareness, but and learning from St. Peter's shock, shock at having Jesus wash his feet. Now, our Lord, of course, our Lord, of course, um, um, kind of puts St. Peter at his ease in a way. He says, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this. Our Lord insists. And our Lord washes his, his, his feet. And but, but the very nice thing, though, in this that we see the example that our Lord gives us, that our Lord really wants to do this. It's not like, the Lord is not doing this under kind of some, some kind of sense of obligation, I have to do this. Our Lord really wants to do this. Why does he want to do this? Why do you, Lord, want to be in the, in the tabernacle here? Why do you, Lord, want me to receive you in Mass, even though I never can receive you with anything like, as we ask, the purity, devotion, uh, humility, these virtues that I should, should approach you with. Why do you want this? There's one very simple answer. Because of our Lord's love for us. Our Lord puts himself before us in this hidden, in this really humble form of the Eucharist because he loves us. He approaches us with this incredible love. Love to the telos, to perfection. Now, one of the things we, 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 um, we, have to, we have to do is to learn from that. Learn, learn from the way that Lord loves us. There's, there's um, this famous letter, which I'm sure you've come across, this, same, this famous letter of Tolkien to his son. When his son, who was living abroad, wrote to him, announcing that he was getting married, and... Um, he was engaged to his girlfriend, and Tolkien wrote back to him, congratulating him, a lovely letter. Uh, but then in the, there's this amazing passage, because he begins to speak about the Eucharist to his son, in all naturalness. And he says, Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth. It's kind of funny. This is the context of hearing that his, his son is getting married to whatever her name is, and, and Tolkien is saying, that's great, great news. However, she will never match the Eucharist in lovability. So it's kind of what he's saying. 
the Blessed Sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. Which is an interesting little phrase. The true way of all your loves on earth. And I think by that he means we look at Jesus. We look at what he does first now, be here in the tabernacle. What he will do in a moment on the altar, me receiving him, having him in my, my little body for those several minutes. This is the way of all our loves on earth. In other words, and Jesus does it actually, at the end of the washing of the feet. He says, do you know what I've done for you? Uh, you, say, you say, I'm your Lord and Master, and rightly so, I am. And if I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, so, so you must wash one another's feet. So our Lord, our Lord is saying, and that, reply, that applies not just to this, the kind of symbolic washing of the feet, but St. John would tell us that applies to our Lord washing our feet in the Eucharist. The example that Jesus is giving us. Jesus would say to us, if I'm hidden here in this little prison of love, as St. Maria called it, if I'm hidden here, if I humble myself to be received by you in, in, in the moment, the end of Mass, well then, this is the way of all your loves on earth. This is how you have to love others. And it's funny, one thing is so clear to us, without humility, there is no love. Full stop. That's why humility is the foundation virtue. It's not the queen of the virtues, love is, but it's the foundation of all the virtues. No humility, no love. And really no other virtues. No humility, no love. It's so foundational. Without humility, we cannot do anything like what our Lord is doing. We would say, who are, you know, who are, who, who are they for me to wash their feet? I barely wash my own. I'm certainly not going to wash anybody else's feet. I'm not that guy because of what he did to me or because I've got a, a grudge against him or because of uh, whatever. I'm certainly not going to wash his feet. And, and, and so the amazing thing, our Lord washing your feet and my feet, you and me who offend him regularly, who overlook him, who are so blasé in, in sacred things. And yet, he says, I'm washing your feet. And, I, and But our Lord does say, you know, there is almost like a, a catch. You have to wash one another's feet. Wash the feet of that person that you feel slightly aggrieved with. Or maybe you feel immensely superior to. Wash his feet. Now, we do that in, on Holy Thursday, at least the, the bishop or the pope does it, and priests in mass sometimes. It's very good, a ceremonial or a symbolic washing feet. But it's a symbol that is meant to be lived out. And so the, the Eucharist is their permanent lesson, permanent lesson to us, where our Lord is permanently saying to us, um, what I'm doing to you, you have to do to one another. But you're not going to be able to do it, you can imagine our Lord saying, you're not going to be able to do it if your pride gets in the way. Because our pride always rears up, even the smallest thing, even, I don't know, even I don't know, gathering plates or being the one who, who empties the dish, the famous dishwasher, 
or uh, whatever it is, you know, me, you know, I'm a busy person, you know, I'm a busy person, or I'm whatever age I am, or whatever it is, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to be the one who, who sets the table, or I'm not going to be the one who prepares the art, or whatever, the, that, it's kind of a pride there, or I'm, you know, I'm a guy in the make, you know, there'd be a plaque to me on the, on the facade of this building within a couple of years, so boy, you know. And that, that's, our, that's our stupid pride, our rearing itself up, which, oh, it's a huge block. And in fact, it's the block. Even St. Rosemary says about marriage, the great obstacle to your marriage love is your pride. Married couples, the same thing. Always pride. Because pride, the, the motto, if pride had a motto, it would, of course, be, as you know very well, non-servia, the motto of, of Satan. I would not serve. And, and so humility and service and love are all of a piece. Pride, hatred, refusal to serve are also all of a piece. So they go, they go together. And so the Eucharist is such, such an incredible example to us of humility, stroke love. Uh, even as St. Rosemary observes in this... Uh, in, anyway, somewhere he's written it, this idea that he says the humility of our Lord in Bethlehem, the humility of our Lord in Nazareth, and the humility of our Lord on the cross. Huge humility. But he says the humility of our Lord in the Eucharist is greater than in Bethlehem, than in Nazareth, and even on the cross. Which is a very striking thing to say, and there's a famous... Italian philosopher, theologian, Cornelia Fabro, who said, that is an amazing observation. It's an amazing observation. The, the, the more humility here than our Lord being, being, you know, violently humiliated on the cross, deliberately, violently humiliated on the cross. And our Lord here in the, in the tabernacle, is humi the humility or the humiliation is even greater. Very, very striking. But again, it's so that our Lord can serve us so that it can get down to our level, kneel down before us, clothed in this little white garment, being tiny, and wash our feet, without us even ever, maybe right, right through the whole course of our lives, without us ever even realizing fully what he has done for us. It's beyond us. Maybe, maybe even in heaven, we mightn't even fully realize what our Lord has done for us in this great humiliation. There's one person, of course, who must have been capable of understanding the Eucharist and capable of responding to the Eucharist. The only person, I suspect, who, who could ever really fully respond, fully understand or, or appreciate what, in this case, her son was doing in the Eucharist. And that, of course, is Our Lady, who received the Eucharist from the hands of St. John, who must have been maybe the second greatest realization of what our, what our Lord was doing in the Eucharist. So we could finish up asking Our Lady, help me, help me have this appreciation that her son, uh, who is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, celebrated Blessed Trinity last Sunday, the second person of the Blessed Trinity wants, really great, greatly desires to kneel down in front of me and wash my feet. Help me to realize, help me to appreciate that, to, to be delighted with the love that is shown there, but also then in my turn to have the humility to do that for others.
I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My mother, Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my father, Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. 